It's great to see you today. So we're coming to the end of our 40 days of prayer. If you've been praying along with us and if you've been following the material that we're going through, on Friday, Good Friday is when it ends. That doesn't mean that you don't continue to pray after Good Friday, but that's when the material that we're going through ends. It's been a great time to really focus on prayer. The messages are on prayer. There's a lot of misunderstandings about prayer that I hope the last few weeks have helped to clear that stuff up so that you have a more powerful prayer life. There seems to be mysteries in prayer, you know, things that are kind of confusing. Like the Bible makes it very clear that everyone has a free will, right? But then the Bible says, like, if you have a friend that doesn't know the Lord, pray for them to come to know the Lord. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? Like, I'm praying for them that they'll put their faith in Jesus, but the Bible says they have a free will. There's a mystery with that. Well, a lot of things with prayer seem like a mystery, and we want to know, like, why does it say to do that? Like, the topic today, being persistent in your prayers. If the Bible already does, and it does say this, God wants to answer your prayers. The Bible makes that clear. If he already wants to answer our prayers, why do I have to keep begging and pleading and asking and bargaining with God for him to answer the prayer? Why can't I just have faith and just pray it one time and say, God, you know what's best? Take care of it. Why do I have to keep praying about it over and over? And the Bible tells you to pray about it over and over. So it could be like a mystery. We're going to look into this a bit. In Colossians 4.2, it says, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, always giving thanks to God. Here again, no matter what topic of prayer, it always talks about giving thanks. Every week, no matter what this focus is on prayer, there's going to be a verse on that that says give thanks, have that attitude of gratitude. That must be a big one if it's in everything that you can find about prayer teaches you to have an attitude of gratitude. But we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the persistent part, being persistent. Why do I have to ask over and over? Do we really serve a God that I have to beg him and bribe him and plead and Finally, he says, okay, enough, I'll give it to you. Is that really who God is? Is that the God of the Bible? What we find as we read about persisting in prayer, it has nothing to do with convincing God. God already knows what you need. It's what it does to us. It's what it, how it affects our life when we keep praying and not giving up, when we keep praying and not giving up. So we're going to look at that to teach this Jesus shared two parables. A parable is a story with a lesson from God in it. And Jesus used to teach like this all the time. He would tell a story with a lesson, an insight, uh, some sort of truth that God wants you to get. And through the story, it makes you, oh, I got it. And sometimes when he gives a story like that, he gives a comparing parable, which means this compares to how God is. Like the prodigal son. And the father and the prodigal son is a, is a good picture of what God's like. And he's saying, do you know how the father just loved his son even though he was messing up? That's just like God. That's a comparing parable. But there's also contrasting parables where he says, do you see how these people were? God's not like that. Because sometimes we have a false view of God. Last week I talked about how God calls himself a father. 
And I also mentioned how some people, when they hear that term, if they had a bad relationship with their father, to them they might hear something negative, seeing God as a father. And then I said, but God's not like that. I wasn't sharing a parable, but that's a contrast. This might be how your father is, and God's a father, but he's not like that. He's a good father. He's a loving father. So Jesus uses two contrasting parables in order to teach us about why we need to keep praying. In the first one, he says, in Luke 11, but then Jesus said, suppose you went to your neighbor's house at midnight and knocked on his door. Already I can see the problem. Don't come knocking at my door at midnight. And said, an out-of-town guest has just arrived at my place. He's hungry and I have nothing to feed him, so I need to borrow three loaves of bread. Your neighbor would probably whisper from the inside of his house, don't bother me. The door's already locked for the night. We're all in bed. I can't wake up everybody just to help you. But even though he would not help you out of friendship, if you keep persistently knocking on the door, he's going to get up and he's going to give you what you need because of your persistence. In other words, he's going to give you what you need just to get you out of his hair. It's not because he loves you. It's like, oh, he won't leave me alone. I'm never going to go to sleep. Okay, I'll get up and give him what he needs just to get him out of there. So he'll leave me alone. I tell you this, keep on asking and you'll get. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks will find. If you keep on knocking, the door will be open to you. So there's a story of a person that's not giving it to you because they're excited to give it to you. They're giving it to you because you're being a nuisance to them and they just got to get rid of you so they can go back to bed. And saying, you're persistent. And someone's willing to give it to you with that type of attitude just by being persistent. How much more does a loving God want to bless you? Because he wants to help you. He wants to answer your request. He cares about those things. Then he gives another parable in Luke 18.1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate that they should always keep on praying and never give up. Always keep on praying and never give up. That's a contrast right there. Always keep on praying and never give up. Why? Because if you're praying about something that you want and you keep on praying and you keep on praying and you keep on praying, why do you keep on praying? Because you have hope. I don't see any changes yet, but I have hope. So I'm still praying. I believe God can still do it. I and then what happens when you finally get like, oh, I've been praying about this forever and God never listens. I give up. What does that mean? You quit praying. See, there's a character quality here. You're either praying or you have given up. It's a guarantee. You're either praying or you gave up on it. And he's saying there's a maturity thing there. Jesus is trying to teach you the mature thing is if you believe it's from God, you don't stop praying. You don't stop praying. I think about my dad. I started praying for my dad for 13 years on a regular basis almost every day before he committed his life to Christ. I knew he needed to turn his life around. I knew his life was headed in the wrong direction. I could see a lot of bad things that were happening. And I was praying and praying and praying. And during that 13-year time, do you think I ever reached a point where I felt like, why do I bother praying? He's never going to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like that. And sometimes I quit praying for a while because I just, oh, I just give up. And then you start thinking about it more and you think like, God's bigger than him. And then you start praying again. But it's easy to lose faith. 
You're either praying or you've given up. Then you start praying again. Then when you stop praying, why? It's because you gave up. Because if you really believed, you keep praying, you keep praying. So part of persisting, it shows what you really believe. He goes on to say, there once was a big city judge who didn't care at all about God or people. But there was an elderly widow who kept coming to this judge over and over, pleading for the judge to protect her rights and do something about a man who had cheated her. For a long time, this judge just ignored her pleas for help, but eventually he had enough. He thought to himself, you know, even though I don't care at all about what God or what this woman thinks, I'm tired of her pestering request, so I'm going to see that she gets justice just to get her to be quiet and stop bothering me. There again is the attitude like the neighbor that gave the bread, not because, oh, I feel for you. You have guests that arrived at midnight that have nothing to eat. I'm happy to get up and get you bread. It wasn't out of the goodness of their heart. It was out of like, oh, I'm just going to give it so you'll leave me alone. Then the Lord said, now learn a lesson from the uncaring judge. Even if that corrupt, uncaring judge eventually gave into that woman's request, won't God who loves you deeply surely give you what is right if you keep crying out to him day and night? So he's showing the contrast. If an uncaring, unloving judge is willing to give you something just because you won't stop, you won't give up, you keep persisting and you keep persisting, and he doesn't even care about you, but he finally gives it to you just to get you off their back, how much more does a loving God who cares about you, who wants to bless your life, he's eager to help you out? So how much more so should you be excited to pray however long it takes, God, I'm going to just keep praying and lifting this up. What he's showing here is God is not that unwilling, uncaring God who doesn't want to answer your prayers. Then why do we persist? In Scripture, you're going to see reasons why to persist and how it affects your life. So why do I keep praying without stopping? Why do I not give up? Why pray persistently? Number one in your notes, it keeps my attention focused on God. See, when you're praying, who are you focusing on? God. So when you're praying about something, you're constantly taking that issue and you're focusing on God being the success, on God being the answer. If I'm praying about something that needs to get done, I really believe that God wants it, and I'm praying about God all the time, and then it happens, do you know what happens to my faith? It rises up because I see God did it. God did it. But let's say I wasn't praying persistently about it, and God chose to bless me about it. I probably don't even know it was from God. I probably don't recognize the good things God did. Let me tell you what. God does a lot of good things for you that you don't pray about just because he loves you. He sees you're in a bind, and he helps you. He, he works things out. And you walk away never thinking that God had anything to do with it. But what happens when you get your attention on God and you're praying? You start recognizing, oh, God, God's doing things in my life. And there's a lot of things that God would have done in your life if you would have just prayed about it, but you never did. You just chose not to. Attention also shows my heart and my love. Attention is like the most precious gift because I can give you money and I can always go earn money and get more money back. When I give you my time, once you've lost that time, you'll never get that back. Time is the most precious thing that you can give. That's why marriage on earth is the highest relationship you can have because what are you doing? You're giving them your time. 
You give them your attention. When you give your spouse time and attention, you give your kids time and attention, that's more important than gifts and money because you're giving them your life, something that you can never get back. When you're giving God your time and attention, it means he's a priority. It means that you're really focused on him. It shows that I love him because you give time and attention to people that you love. In Psalms 25, 15, it says, my eyes are continually looking. So you see, it's continual, continually looking to the Lord for help. For he alone can rescue me from all the traps. God says, there's traps in this world that you need rescued from. And when you're continually looking at me, there's a persistence there. When you're continually doing it, he rescues you. But it's not a promise for those that aren't continually looking. It's not a promise for those. It's a promise for people that are doing it over and over again, continual. How about Psalm 105, verse 4? Look at the Lord and his strength. Seek his face constantly, constantly. There's something about that persistence, that you're constantly seeking God. You're constantly have your mind in him. You're focusing on God. So when I'm praying about something over and over and over, I'm constantly focusing on God as an answer, as a solution. My mind's with God. When you give God attention, your heart's with him because you give attention to the people that you love, it's good for me. It's not convincing God to give it to me. It's not like God is less than us. And boy, if I can talk him into this, oh, I must be super clever. Look at what I talked God into. It's not like that. He already knows. But when I'm focusing on God, my heart's in the right place. He's a priority. He's somebody that I love. And that happens with persistent prayer. The other thing, when you pray persistently, it teaches you about yourself. What type of person am I? You're going to learn all kinds of things about yourself, especially when you're praying for something that you desperately need and it doesn't happen instantly. You're going to reveal some things about your character that maybe you didn't know. But it shows in Zechariah 13, 9, it says, I will test and purify them as silver is purified by fire. I will test them as gold is tested. Then they will pray to me and I will answer them. Then they will pray to me and I will answer them. When? After they've been tested. God will test you. He doesn't just answer. Just like silver or gold is heated up and it's, uh, it's testing the purity of it. And by how much impurities come up, you can say, okay, that gold wasn't that pure. But you heat it up, heat it up, the impurities rise up. You can scrape up the impurities and it gets more and more pure. And God is saying, I do things that test you. And part of that is prayer, not being answered when you think it should be answered. I'm testing you. You think that should be answered now. It is an answer now. Do you still have faith? Do you still believe? Or do you give up? What type of person are you? God will use prayer as a way to test you. It can test, first of all, in your notes, it tests my desires. What do I really want? Praise God he doesn't answer your prayers every time you ask it because your desires mature. Your desires evolve. Your desires develop. And when you first pray about something, you might think, Lord, if you did this for me, that would be so cool. And two weeks later, you think about it and you think, well, that was kind of immature. I still think God wants this, but, but not like that. 
Because sometimes as you're praying day in and day out about something, you start realizing, I think my motive for wanting that is kind of off. It might be inappropriate. It might be harmful. Uh, as you're praying about something over a long period of time, as you're maturing and seeing things in a different light, you start thinking, thank God he wouldn't give it to me like that because I think that might have been destructive to my marriage. Or that might have been harmful to me. But it takes time for you to grow and develop. Because when you first pray something, sometimes it's not thought out. It's just on the whim. It's just on the whim. And you haven't had a chance to really think it out. But when you're praying about it persistently every day, you mature. You think about it differently. And over time, a lot of times now you're praying in the right direction because you've had time to process it. You haven't had time to think it through. So what you're praying you think of what you prayed at the beginning, and you think, boy, that was kind of silly. And we all pray for our desires, and we know it's wrong. Like the one that I always say, how many of you have met Mr. and Mrs. Wright, and you said, God, if you give me her, I'd be set for life. And then later on, you're so thankful that you're not with her. Or you're so thankful that you're not with him. You know what I mean? We do that all the time. We, we pray about things that it's our desire, but our desire is leading us over our mind. And God is saying, no, that's not going to be good for you. And God's smart enough to say no. But as you keep praying, it changes. If I pray for something one time and never think about it again, you know for sure that's a whim. It's not important to you. Because if it was important to you, you would be thinking about it all the time. How many times have you prayed for things and then the next day you might not even remember that you prayed for it? You never prayed about it the day after that and the day after that and the day after that? Why is that? Because so many of our prayers are immature. We're just praying off the top of our head at the moment. But it's not that important to us. If it was something really important, we'd be praying about it every day. It would be on our mind every day. If it was something super important, two weeks later, I could ask you, what have you prayed about? And that would come up. But there's a lot of things that you pray that weren't important to you. And it was just a desire in the moment that... It had no lasting effect because it wasn't what you really needed or wanted. God wants to give you your deepest desires. But usually he wants to change you first, give you a time to grow up so you can get the right things that you really want and pray the right things. Look at this verse here in Psalms. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why is this? Because sometimes the desires of our heart aren't good. They're not healthy for us. If God really gave me what I prayed for, that would have probably been bad. God was too smart to do that to me. It would have been the wrong thing. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? It's saying, put God first. When you put God first, you're more apt to be praying with the right desires, praying in the right direction, praying in a healthy way. And we don't always put God first. We don't always delight in the Lord. We're delighting in something else. And thank God he didn't answer that prayer. So as I'm praying, it tests my desires. Wow. I remember when I used to pray about that, that's, my desires were off. Praise God he didn't answer that. It also tests my priorities. What's most important to me? Because if something's important, it's on your mind all the time. So you pray about it all the time. Sometimes... The things that's important to you, it reveals in your life because of worry. You'll be worried about it. Now, we know that worry is unhealthy, but it's also a sign that it's important to you. 
If it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. And that's exactly what you'd want to do. Take your worry and turn it into worship. Take your panic and turn it into prayer. But if you're worried about it, it's probably a priority to you. So instead of being stressed out, pray to God. Trust him. And if you're like me, I know I'm not supposed to worry. That's not healthy for my body. So I feel worried about something. I pray and I give it to God. I'm, I'm glad I can let that go. And then two hours later, I'm worried about it again. Did that happen to you? What do you do? You had to pray all over again. Oh, God, I give it to you. And then maybe three hours later, I'm all stressed out about it again. I have to give it to God again. It's something that sometimes you have to pray over and over and persistently about. Because worry, is a, it can really get a hold of you. Look at Matthew. Why be like unbelievers who worry about everything? Why does it call them unbelievers? Because worry is a sign that you don't really believe that God's going to take care of it. So you worry about it. If you believe God has it, you wouldn't worry about it. So even you are an unbeliever in that point, in that time. Not meaning that you don't have faith in Jesus, but you know, we struggle with unbelief. We all do. Your Heavenly Father already knows all your concerns, and He will give you all you need. If your first concern is to live for His kingdom. Priorities. What's the priority here? God, I want to live for your kingdom. That's the priority. And it reveals your priorities. Does your prayer show that your priority is to live for God? Or does your prayer show that your priority is for something else? I've been praying for this and I'm just waiting on God. Well, maybe God's waiting on you. Maybe God's waiting on you to get your priorities in order first. You think you're waiting on him and he's really waiting on you. In Psalms 84, it says, no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who do what is right. So God, if you don't want to withhold anything from me, if I'm doing what's right, then why are you withholding this? Well, maybe I'm not doing what's right. Maybe there's something, a priority that's out of whack. You know, maybe I'm living for me rather than living for God. Maybe my attention is on me rather than on God. Maybe I'm not staying connected with him. Maybe my job, that's my number one priority rather than my relationship with God or the kingdom of God. Maybe social media and time and social media is more important to me than time reading the Bible. I mean, where are my priorities? It could be anything. But God is saying, when you're praying, you don't get things. It's a test of your priorities. It makes you think, well, maybe my priorities are wrong. Why are my prayers not being answered? Are my priorities in order? Maybe they're not. That's something to look at. A second thing is it tests my maturity. Praying for something and you don't get it. Have you ever seen, I have a two-year-old, and he wants something, and I say, no, not right now. And what do you think he does? He has a temper tantrum. Because why, why would he act like that? Immaturity. When you're immature, you don't know how to wait. When you're immature, you want it now. And babies do that. They want it now. They start crying and fussing because they want it now. They want it now. But sometimes we're that way. We're the immature ones because we're praying for something and we want it now. And sometimes that can be seen in other areas of our life. Like instead of taking the four months to save up money and buy something, you buy it now on the credit card and end up paying way more for it with interest. So the bargain is no longer a bargain after you add all the interest in over the months. And it's a, it's, a, it's a discipline thing. It's a maturity thing. I've got to have it now. I've got to have it now. 
Well, maturity would say, I can wait four more months and save up and, and be able to actually afford it and save money in the long run. It's learning how to be mature. Maturity means I have patience. That's a mark of maturity. When you have the ability to have patience, one of the fruit of the Spirit is being patient. So God's wanting you to have patience. I'm going to pray. I'm going to keep praying about it. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, but I'm going to have patience. I'm going to trust God's timing because to me, it feels like it should happen now. But it's not happening. But I'm going to keep praying. I'm just going to trust God's timing. That's a part of maturity. God wants to meet your deepest needs, your physical needs, your spiritual needs, your emotional needs, your financial needs, your relational needs. But that's not the most important thing to God. Do you know what? God is way more concerned about your character than your comfort. And sometimes you have to be uncomfortable before you're willing to change your character. It's true. It's when you're uncomfortable. Now you're all ears. Now you're willing to learn. Okay, God, help me now. I'll do whatever you say now, God. I'll do it now. Because why are you uncomfortable? You don't have to wait till you're uncomfortable to do it God's way. But sometimes we're that way. So he says, I want to give you your physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, financial needs, relational needs. But your character is way more important to me than your comfort. So I'm going to have you wait. I'm going to have you suffer until you get your act together and grow up and be mature because it tests your maturity. So that way when I give it to you, it's a good thing and not a bad thing. There's a lot of things that God could give you that are good, but for you right now it would be bad because you're not mature enough to handle it yet. Like the thing you always hear me say, you know, I'm not going to give a 10-year-old the keys to the car. They're not mature enough to handle that yet. But in the future, they can. But this is a part of your development and growth. God wants you to be a mature person. He wants to learn how to trust and wait, and that's part of maturity. We see this with Hezekiah. Look at this. God will even allow you to have times where you feel like God's a million miles away. God, where are you? And are you going to still obey him when you don't feel it? Because I just don't feel it. Look at Hezekiah in Second Chronicles. God left Hezekiah on his own for a while to see what he would do. Then it says God wanted to test his heart. God does that. Sometimes God leaves you alone for a while. He's still there, but he leaves you alone for a while to test your heart. And now you don't feel God. You say, God, where are you? And are you going to obey God when you don't feel it? Are you going to obey God when you don't feel it? Because it's easy not to. That's a test of your heart. One time God took a whole nation, Israel, and he had a promise, something he wanted to bless them with. I want to bless you with this promised land. So I'm going to take you out of Egypt where you're in slavery, and I'm going to move you out of there, and I'm going to bring you to the promised land. But I'm not going to bring you there immediately. I'm first going to take you out to the desert, and I'm going to test you. So make sure you're responsible enough to make sure you're mature enough. Because if I take you out of there into the desert and put you in the promised land and you're not ready yet, you're going to ruin your lives. You're going to ruin your future. So let me test you first. So it's a one-week walk from Egypt to Israel, and it takes them 40 years to get there. <laughs> they get into the desert, and he tests them, and they fail. Then later on, he tests them again, and they fail. I don't know how many times he tested them, but in the Bible, he tested them seven times. 
Was there other tests that aren't recorded? I don't know. But the ones that God wanted us to see are in there. But he tested them seven times. It says here in Deuteronomy, the Lord led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would really obey his commands. And you know what happened? They failed all seven tests, all seven of them. What does this tell us? God wants to bless your life more than what you can imagine, but it's not a guarantee that you're going to get it. It's not a guarantee. It has nothing to do with God's desire. Does God desire to bless you? Oh, he desires to bless you more than you can imagine. He wants to bless you, but it's not a guarantee. Why? Because he's going to test you and make sure you're mature enough to handle it. Are you, are you going to do it my way, or are you going to take this blessing and blow it? Are you going to use it for the good, or are you going to use it for the bad? The next generation, he tested them. They passed the test, and he gave them the promised land. But do you know what? All of those other people that were being tested, all of them died in the desert over that 40-year period, except for two of them. Even Moses died. All of them died except for two of them that were left when they went into the promised land because those two passed the test. (laughs) Nobody else did. He had to let them all die over that 40-year period. Now that next generation grows up. These two people led them into the promised land, and they were ready for it, and they were mature enough to handle it, and they were responsible enough to go in. Your maturity means a lot to God. I want a quick answer, and God wants to cut out the cancer. Lord, you know, I just want you to make me feel better, like put a Band-Aid on it. And God says, no, no, no. I want to get rid of the cancer. See, I just want ease. And then God said, no, I want to heal the disease. He wants to go where the cause is. And you know what happens? That's a lot worse. That's a lot longer. But it's healthier. That's how you get better. You don't get better by putting a Band-Aid on it. You get better by fighting the infection. That's there. The Band-Aid makes me feel better. Oh, I feel better. You're not better. You're not better. You feel better for that moment, but you're not better. The disease is actually continuing and getting worse. So what does this mean? If God just answered my prayer and saved me out of my financial problem without me obeying and learning what I need to learn, he'd save me out, and two years later, I'd be right there again. Right? Because I haven't changed. I'm still doing the same thing I did before. God rescued me, so, oh, Great, and then I continued on the same path. If God rescued me out of this marriage problem that I'm in, and I don't learn what I need to learn to become a better person in that marriage, then you know what? I'm going to have the problem again two or three or four or five years later. Okay? Because I've never learned. Maturity is God is more concerned about you and the cause and healing the problem. So that way, when he answers a prayer, you can handle the blessing. You can handle the promised land. You can handle what he wants to give you. When I'm praying for a breakthrough, I want, you know, I want to get married one day, or I want to get a job, or I want to see this dream come true. God is saying, are you willing to let me change you first? Because usually what we think is, God, change this circumstance. God, change this circumstance. And he's saying, maybe I'm not going to change the circumstance. Maybe it's you that needs to change. Maybe the circumstance is never going to change. Maybe it's you that needs to change. And all of a sudden, when I change within the circumstance, I find out, oh, I can actually be happy. 
I can actually be happy. Maybe you're living at a place that you don't like. And you say, and that doesn't mean that you try to get a goal to improve. Obviously, you have goals to improve. But I'm miserable. I don't like living here. I'm miserable. And God's going to say, you know what? What you are is you're immature. I'm not going to change it because you're more important to me. And maybe God wants to first change me so that I learn how to be a happy person no matter where I'm living. Okay? And now God says, you're happy now. And then if he blesses me, my character's already changed. But it'd be way better for him to change my character first because you know what will happen? You move to a new place, and within time, you start finding things you don't like about that, and you're miserable again. Some people will never be happy. They'll always find a reason to be negative. In Romans 6.13, it says, Give yourself completely to God to be used in the hands of God for his good purposes. That's the point of surrender. God, to be mature, I want to be used for your glory. Put me in your hands to do whatever you want me to do. I surrender. That's a part of maturity. A lot of people resist God. They don't want to change. God's not going to give you everything you want. And if you don't want to change, it's going to stop some prayers from being answered because they would only hurt you, even though what you're asking for you think would help you. But it hurt you. Another one is test my faith. When I'm praying over and over, it's to test my faith. Why? Because I don't see it happening, but I still believe. So I keep praying. I don't see anything happening, so I still believe. You know, like I was uh, letting everybody know, I believe, I don't know, I believe that this property here is going to be given to us. It's not because I got any inside information from anybody. In fact, all the information I hear is that's the last thing in the world that they're planning to do. Okay? I think that's why I believe it even more. So, so what I'm doing is I'm praying and I'm believing. I think they're going to give it to us. I think they're going to give it to us. And I'm praying God change their hearts. They're not using it. The people that originally bought this and built this wanted a church to reach out here in this community. And they're not doing that. And if they sell the property, it's going to become condos or something like that. And the people that originally put this here had a purpose. And I know their intent I know the sacrifice. I know what they wanted, and I believe that's us. We're here. That's what it's supposed to be us. So I pray. Give it to us. God, you're going to give it to us. I haven't seen any sign at all that they're giving it to us, but I'm still praying. I'm still believing. You know, I don't know, but my faith says I'm going to keep praying because I, I believe. I'm, I believe I'm going to keep praying. When, how, where, you know, I don't know the details, but if you have faith, you keep praying even though you don't see any signs of it happening. But that's about what faith is. Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The idea is, do you believe that? See, faith says, okay, I believe God has a good plan for me. If you don't have faith, you don't believe God has a good plan for you. Some people believe that God's out to get them. God's, you know, oh, God will just screw me over. If I pray to God, I surrender, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He's going to send me to be a missionary in some country where they serve food I don't like, and I don't understand the language, and I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. But I said to God, I'll do whatever you want. 
Like, gotcha. <laughs> I'm going to make you pay for that one. You said you obey me no matter what, so I'm going to make your life miserable. That's what people think God's like. That's somebody evil. It might be a spiritual being. It's not God. It's the other guy. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. When you surrender to God, he's trying to bless your life. Look at Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. You can circle it, the right time. God's timing is perfect. A lot of times we don't get what we want because it's just not the timing yet. It's not that God's not working. You're praying about it, and God's maybe working out the details, and it's not quite ready yet. But when it's ready, it will happen. God uses that time to change you, to change your desires, to purify you, to test your character, to build your faith, to strengthen your life, and to be doing things in other people's lives as well. So when it comes, it will work. There's four ways God answers prayer. One is, in your notes, when my request is not right, God says no. Aren't you happy about that? If what you're praying for isn't right, what it's saying is God is not going to give you anything harmful or destructive. If it's not good for you, God's not going to answer that. You're praying for something, and God says, that's bad. I'm not going to give that to you. That should give us security about our praying. That means I can pray anything I want, and no matter how crazy and bad it is for me, God's going to say, no, I'm glad. I'm glad. It's not going to be, okay, I'm going to give you what you want and make you pay. That's not God. That's not how God works. When I'm not right, God says grow. He's not saying no. He's saying grow. What you're praying for, like my dream of what I want to see in the future, what you're praying for is a good thing. But you're not mature enough to handle it yet. So right now, you need to focus on your growth and learning. So sometimes the answer isn't no. The answer is just grow. You know, in the future, if you get your character together and you, de- and you develop and you surrender to me, I would love to do that for you. Does everybody grow? Nope. Some people choose not to. They pray about it, but they're not willing to surrender and grow. But sometimes that's the answer. I would love to bless, that, bless you in that way, but you've got to grow. You've got to work on your character. You've got to do things. You don't have to get your life together to put your faith in God for salvation. He takes you just as you are. But you do have to get some things in order for him to give you certain blessings. Because otherwise, what's a blessing will end up being a curse for you and for others in your life. The third one is, when the timing's not right, God says slow. What you're asking for is a good thing, but not yet. There's some other situations that are going on. Like, like I've said many times to people where they, want, they desire to meet somebody and get married someday. And... Sometimes it's because you're just not ready. Grow. You know, you have to develop. You, you, you need to grow. Sometimes you're ready, but you're saying the timing's not right yet. Well, why wouldn't the timing be right? I'm ready. Because maybe she's not ready yet. Maybe he's not ready yet. Give it two or three more years, then you meet the person, and they're at a point in their life that they're ready. Now you meet them, and it works out, and you have a great marriage. But if he was to give you them right at that moment, it could be the worst thing that ever happened in your life because it's the same person. But the timing was off. In Habakkuk 2.3, it says, Do not be discouraged if the vision isn't fulfilled overnight. Surely it will happen. It will not be overdue a single day. So he's saying the timing's not right. It's going to happen, but the timing's not right, so don't be surprised. If it, what you're praying for is something good, 
So give it time and keep praying. So sometimes the answer isn't that you need to grow. Sometimes it's just slow. It's not going to happen yet. And then when my request, timing, and character are right, God says go. Sometimes he says yes. He says go. Go do it. This is yours. Ephesians says pray at all times on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Always stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. Pray at all times, on every occasion, staying alert. Be persistent. That one says in your prayers for other people. Remember last week when I talked about Job? He had all these uh, problems in his life, and God healed him, not when he was praying for his own healing, but when he started praying for other people. So he was praying for his friends, and then God healed him. Not when he was praying for himself. He went out and prayed for his friends, and then God healed him. There's something about that because remember how I talked about spiritual maturity and our walk with God is about loving God with all our heart, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself? That means if I'm suffering, but I really love my neighbor as myself, I'm never suffering so much that I don't pray for them too. That's what love is. I love God and I love other people. So I'm going through a hard time and I find myself praying for other people. Well, if you're going through such, such a hard time, why aren't you praying for yourself? I do pray for myself, but I love those people so much, I can't help but pray for them. Well, aren't you hurt, really hurting right now? Oh, I'm hurting bad. But why do you keep praying for them and other people? I love people. When I hear what's going on, I, I just have to pray for them. It's a maturity thing. It's a maturity thing. When you're praying for others, it shows where your heart is. It shows what's a Christian, someone that loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, or the Christian lifestyle, Someone that loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength loves their neighbors themselves. It shows in your prayers, in your prayers. And if that's not what I'm praying about, I recognize I know the real Jim, Jimmy. And loving others isn't really what's inside there. How do you know? Because I see my prayer life. Your prayers reveal it. Or you say, I notice I pray for people all the time. It's because you love people. Let your prayers reveal to your mind where you really are so you can make the changes in your character to be the type of person that you need to be. God wants to give you breakthroughs in your prayers. He wants to do great things. Sometimes we're our biggest hindrance. If you apply these things to your life, I think you'll see God do great, great things in your prayers and as we're praying for the church and praying for one another. And you'll continue to see breakthroughs happening and other breakthroughs happening and other breakthroughs happening in your life. And that's what God wants. He wants to bless you more than what you can imagine. So with that, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you take our life and we want to dedicate our lives to you. We want our life to flow with praises to you. Lord, that our lips would be filled with your message, that our hands would be used for your purposes, that our intellect would be on thoughts about you, Lord, take our desires and help us to follow you with our desires. Take our heart. Lord, we want to dedicate everything we have to you. We want to keep you number one. And Lord, we want to love other people. We want to be mature. We want to grow and be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we want powerful prayers. And we understand that so much of those prayers has to do with where we are. Sometimes we hinder ourselves. And Lord, 
as we seek you, Lord, we ask for your wisdom to guide us, to help us to grow so that we can be the people that we need to be to, to have the power and the breakthroughs in our life that you want us to have. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.